Welcome to Nameless Debate Radio, where radioactivity is contagious. You can join us in broadening our minds on the Nameless Debates Discord via the link below and even feature here yourself, if you've got what it takes. Alright. All right, so, so, like, um, yeah, go. You go. No, you go. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, like, um, we were going to have a conversation about hypotheses, isn't that right? I think that's what's on my mind. All right. So what, what were you thinking? So uh, the thought struck me today. Uh, I think I was just doing dishes or something. Uh, is it possible to refute a hypothesis as invalid based, you know, just in a way that just kind of stops the hypothecation in its tracks? So uh, I think, uh, was it David said, like, if we just say the hypothesis that two plus two equals five, uh, as so, a or maybe a better example, some shades of green or purple. Okay. Wait yeah, a second. Been... So I, yeah, I think you mean hypothesization because, like, hypothecation is a different word. Thank you. Yeah, help me. Something random. Help me. Um, so we're talking that. about yeah, hypothesization, whether or not um, a hypothesis can be valid or invalid on its what uh, on its how would you say uh, definite on its definitional merit? Yeah. Is yes, that, it? that that's a good way to put it. Okay. Um. So are we saying like, is it a valid hypothesis or is it yeah. a valid, oh, sorry, so I think we need to separate the question, right? Are we saying like, um, is it in terms of qualifying for the title of hypothesis valid or is mm-hmm. it a hypothesis which does qualify for the hi- title of hypothesis, but yeah. is invalid? Yes. Yeah, that it's one which, that is just w- wrong. So no, wrong which one? So it is a hypothesis, but it's not a valid thing in terms of like a conclusion i'm confused yeah the conclusion of it being i guess uh useful to dialectics let's say okay so you're saying can so that seems i don't really understand the question then are we saying like can a a valid hypothesis be an invalid conclusion because that question answers itself right that that does answer itself so i think what i'm trying to say then is can can a hypothesis hold title to that word? And okay, so you are asking the former version of the question, which is, um, is there such a thing as a hypothesis which is um, an invalid conclusion but nonetheless a valid hypothesis? Yeah, okay. I think that is what I'm asking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> and let me see if I get your rephrasing of me because it's... Mm-hmm. It's a, it was a know. shady idea to me at first. Okay. So. I mean, I think that if it didn't have a valid conclusion, then it wouldn't be a valid hypothesis. Is that true, though? Because what do we mean? I think we need to be really careful about what we mean when we say valid hypothesis, right? Because there are mm-hmm. two ways to interpret that. One of them is that it is valid in terms of fitting the criteria for hypothesis. Mm-hmm. And one of them is it's a hypothesis which fits the va- criteria for a valid conclusion. And they're different. Right? So whether or not it's a valid hypothesis is really the question of the former. And if you're asking... Um, the latter, then the question is better put as, is there a, a hypothesis which is not a valid conclusion, but which is nonetheless a valid hypothesis? And I would guess the answer must be yes, right? Like just based right. on how hypothesis is defined. 
Right. Um, it's not until you have tested it that you can say that it is valid or invalid. And testing it includes evaluating it logically, right? I would say yes. So then, like, when we say that, so even a, a contradictory hypothesis is nonetheless a valid hypothesis in the sense that you can make that hypothesis, but yeah. as soon as you begin to examine it, it shows itself to be an invalid conclusion. Yeah, that's, okay. So, namely, then, I think, if we take the hypothesis that God exists, mm -hmm. I would say it's a valid hypothesis. Yes. But I would agree it, with that. It comes to an invalid conclusion. Hmm. I would say but, it, it uh, is probably an invalid conclusion. Yeah, it's more. It, it's it's yeah, unlikely. I think I think it's likely to be invalid, but we can't know for sure. And even right. if DM theory is fundamentally true, we could still be um, a consequence of a god within a DM theoretical universe, right? I, I could see that, especially as a possibility. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so not necessarily non-existent, but definitely uh, not, not necessary. required for, yes. for it's not mm -hmm. a prerequisite for existence. Yes, yeah, so it's not a fundamental. Thank yeah, you. I would yeah. agree with that. Okay. It is so, possible, they, though, that uh, the hypothesis that God ex uh, exists is not a valid hypothesis. Because maybe the God, um, idea of God doesn't make sense. It's not. No, coherent. but I think I, I think I addressed that already, David, because like when you mm -hmm. say that something that doesn't um, cohere or doesn't make sense, you're saying that you've evaluated it, isn't that correct? Well, yeah, you evaluate yeah, so, the, so, uh... Just quickly, so the hypothesis is the thing before the evaluation. After you evaluate it, you have a conclusion. Yeah, I'm just saying that maybe it's not a valid hypothesis, which no, is but, why it's not I think, a valid conclusion. I, no, 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 but the thing is that it can be a valid hypothesis, but not be a valid conclusion. Do you accept that? Right. I mean, maybe. I mean, like I don't know that. Okay, I so it. what does hypothesis mean? Okay, because I can well, tell you what it means in philosophy. What it means is a proposition made as a basis for reasoning without any assumption of its truth. Okay, so a hypothesis doesn't assume that the postulation is in any sense true or valid. So it counts as a valid hypothesis, even if it is logically invalid, because it being logically invalid is not something that is determined while it is a hypothesis. It is something that is determined while it is a conclusion. Like, you have to evaluate it in order to determine that it doesn't fit the rules of logic, but the evaluative process means it changes from a hypothesis into a conclusion. One, one that is uh, answered, I guess, in the negative. Or yes, not, not affirmative. Yeah, yeah, it can be like a non-confirmation conclusion. It's just an end. That's what conclusion means. Yeah, an end okay. of the line of reasoning. Yeah, so we say like a hypothesis is the start of the line of reasoning where you're saying something that you think could be true in mm -hmm. some situation, but you're not even saying that that is necessarily true. You're just saying this is something that I've managed to construct which we're going to like treat as a basis for reasoning without saying that it's true. And then if after you use it as the basis for reasoning, you can show that it's logically inconsistent, you can say that it is an illogical hypothesis, but mm -hmm. you cannot say that it is not a hypothesis. And saying that it is not a valid hypothesis is saying it's not a hypothesis. Maybe what you mean to say is that it is a logically invalid hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Wow.
yeah, for the most part, that that rings true to me. Seems uh, accurate. It seems accurate. The because the thing that I'm trying to state is that we're we're simulating information. Uh, we are in a way when we have we're, when we make a hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Simulating, and, interesting. Yeah, and and then when we work through the logic of it, it will either match our observations of whatever data it may be that's being considered, or will contradict that. Simulating. And then we have to determine. I don't know if I would have used so, that word, but I'm not too sure what the correct word would be. Yeah, it's like running a script based on some basic kind of command. Okay, so what we're doing then is we are um, inst- instantiating a variable. That's what we're doing. Yeah, 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 that's it. Okay, yeah, I would accept that. Yeah, hypothesis is a variable that you're instantiating for the purposes of reasoning. Yeah, and defining so, as much of it as you can in order to run its Yeah, for script. sure, absolutely. So- are you making a distinction between a valid hypothesis and a logically valid hypothesis? Naturally, yes. Yeah. A valid hypothesis is something which is valid with regards to the conditions that govern whether or not it fits the category of hypothesis. Yeah. And do you know like, what's the generally accepted definition of hypothesis? Mm. Wait a minute. So then that leads us to this. If we say that a valid hypothesis is something which is treated as a starting point for further investigation, mm-hmm. right? Then something which is uh, actually arbitrary is an invalid hypothesis. Yeah. So, like, not something which is through its construction arbitrary, but if I say, um, you know, I don't know, um, Z, that's my hypothesis, mm-hmm. you know, unless Z corresponds to something else. No, you know, like the not a hypothesis. Right, yeah. It's just a a mouth noise that you're making. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So hypothesis has strict criteria that kind of parameterize what it can and cannot be. Mm -hmm. And in accepting it's realistically that it just has some meaning of some kind. Yeah. And so, like, when you say Z, the reason that it's not a valid hypothesis is that the reason for using Z is that it's an example of an arbitrary symbolization with regards to nothing in particular, right? Uh, keep going. <laughs> so, like, Z, when we say, like, the hypothesis is Z, because by Z I do not mean to represent some other idea, I just mean Z, and Z by itself, in without context, doesn't actually mean anything, yeah. then the hypothesis is not valid because the hypothesis has to be a variable instantiation, which involves an assignment of value, and Z is a symbol, but where is the value I'm assigning it? Yeah, it's in relation to... Uh, mm-hmm. No. If I were to say, for instance, yeah, if I were to say z equals ten, we have a hypothesis. Okay. The, yeah. If so I were the... to say, even if I were to say z equals um, spe- a specific mechanic, I don't know. Let's say thermodynamics. Z equals thermodynamics. Then we have a hypothesis, right? Well, for At the what very z least, represents, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and but um, I think that would probably rely on z having some other connective for the meaning, right? I would but, think, it, yeah, it would have to be clearly defined at that point. But I think just the fact that it had the connective in two parts would be sufficient to call it a valid hypothesis, because even though it's not uh, complete enough to be coherent, when you look uh, at it, it is not so incoherent that it doesn't look like a hypothesis. Yeah, and it takes it is the uh, shape of it. 
right? Like when you see Z on a page, you don't have to perform any specific evaluation to know that it's not a hypothesis because it doesn't do any um, like proposing. There's no, there is no assignment. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Right? So it's not, it's not a result of the evaluation that you know that like evidently it's not there. Hmm. That is so interesting, man. I really like hearing your thoughts on that. That's uh, it's not something I've actually considered before, right? Well, that's what I'm here for then. <laughs> um, did you have something to say, David? No, I haven't. You have you haven't had anything to say ever. No, I don't have anything to say. Uh, yeah, I figured that's what you meant. <laughs> um, so David, interesting qu question. I'm like. It seemed like you, like from what I heard from um, one of the recordings I uploaded after I left, it sounded like you thought that I didn't quite understand what I was talking about when I was talking about data and logic. Is this from an older recording? Yeah, for sure, yep. Oh. Yeah, you were talking to Vivian about it. Oh, I think I remember hearing that one. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. I, I thought they mischaracterized it too a bit. Mm, it was two it was guys talking, yeah, and I, I went, oh, they actually don't know it, but... Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? Part. David actually does know it a bit. It's just that he, uh, I don't know. I guess he's being skeptical. I think that's probably yeah, what he Yeah, that's what it sounded like. It was, it was like a reservation of skepticism. Yeah, for sure. Which I, I completely think, support, actually, yeah, in a yeah, lot of ways. For sure, yeah. I think, like, the only place that becomes a little objectionable is where he... Uh, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't have a problem with uh, someone thinking that they understand the world better than I do, but it's it would be nice for them to tell me that directly sometimes, you know? Yeah, there's a great quote from uh, PBS Space Time, Matt Dodd. I think he said, uh, you may know you're a genius, but it's important to be able to communicate that fact to others. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's like you have to kind of either work with the tools that you already have in your it's an, it's an interesting one right because yeah. like although i sort of like understand the sentiment it like goes directly contrary to um one of my own quotes that i think is like really like if not true extremely relevant to the human condition okay um which is that the wisest man in the world sorry no one knows the wisest man in the world not even himself yeah. because as he knows himself he is often wrong so, like, if you know you're a genius, hmm. I mean, you're probably not as smart as you think you are. Yeah. Because to think that you just are, you know what I mean? To think that you know that you are a genius, I think, is a bit, uh, uh, what would you say? Um, hubristic, I guess, because, um, <laughs> like, by what, yeah, like, I don't know. It just seems like a relatively um, arbitrary assignment of what exactly genius means. Yeah. It's a complicated word. It is a complicated word. and Well, I could also say, if you may think that you're a genius, but if you haven't produced anything of value, um, then you may have to consider whether or not you really are a genius. Are you Chris Langan? Up in the eponym? Uh, no. Are you sure? Huh? Oh, no, I'm just memeing you. <laughs> you know, I just... Uh, I'm going to check if you're a genius by evaluating um, the productions of your mind. And if uh, if I understand your production productions and you don't understand my productions, then you know I'm pr probably probably more of a genius than you. <laughs> <laughs> that's my Chris. That's my Chris Lang Langen shtick.
That is, yeah, actually fairly. <laughs> Let's talk circles around it and see what yeah. what happens. It's an interesting one, man. Yeah. In, in the sense that um, it's interesting that someone can think that that's a good strategy. It's, yeah. it's scary <laughs> that they think they can get get by undetected with that. Yeah, man. I don't know. Like, I feel like that's kind of what I'm talking about. You know, if you think that that claims to being a genius make you, I don't know, like make other people listen to you more, then you're probably not paying as as much attention as a genius should be. Yeah, especially in the social domain. But like, I reckon, I, right? Like, I can yeah. kind of contend a little bit on it. Like, uh, no, but like the self-assignment of genius, even in the academic domain, it's just something that people frown on. If you're a genius, oh, for sure. yeah, it should be I agree. up to other people to say it. And if you say it about yourself, you're probably not. Well, it's a bit like uh, someone calls you an asshole and then you go, no, I'm not. And then that person yeah. responds, well, it's not really up to you. We, you you're not the recipient of your own exactly, uh, right? behavior, I guess. As Definitely. It's, projected that, outwards yeah, that, that really gets down to the core of the matter with the flaws in the way that we perceive the world because we are often blind to the things that we have not yet learned to see but we assume that we see all that there is to see about ourselves because it's intuitive mm. you know like i am me of course i'd know me better than any of you would but right. realistically like the perspective you have on yourself is largely like blinded because it, of the way that you think about the world being the thing you use to interpret the way you think about the world <laughs> Yeah, it's it's like default meta. Yeah, man, and like I I feel like the you know the uh, like an analytical issue in that kind of uh, situation is it doesn't really even need explaining because it's like it's sort of like I don't know I feel like there's an intuitive like reaction to hearing someone say that they use their system of verification to verify their system of verification. You're just like. Hmm, that sounds like a load of bullshit. Yeah, it sounds like you're just doing some little uh, yeah, spin yeah. <laughs> off in a room in your own like subconscious about Definitely, things. Definitely, yeah. Like, because uh, I could kind of take a, a minor point of contention in terms of self-identifying as an artist or a visionary or anything that is able to perceive into some yeah. potential and then extract. Whoa. Go ahead, man. Thing is, labels don't really mean anything. Oh, come like, on, David. Just, I mean, it's true, though. Like, labels in so, and I mean, of themselves don't, don't really mean anything. Okay, yes, but that's not equivalent to the first statement you made. Which was that? Which was that labels oh, don't really mean anything. Right. <laughs> you know what which I mean? What? Like, which yeah, was that labels don't really mean anything. That's very different you. from... Yeah, that's different from like labels in and of themselves don't mean anything, in which mm -hmm. case you're saying that labels uh, as in the symbols themselves are arbitrary. But the first proposition you made indicated that labels do not even refer to anything. Which they, they do. Yeah, well, they do. Yeah, <laughs> obviously they do. Yeah. But like the, if no, we really just mean that. Like, if you call yourself an artist or a genius or anything like that, if you don't have any context, then what you're saying doesn't really have any inherent meaning. Like, it may have some meaning, but not very much. Um, like, yes, I agree with that. I'm just saying, like, the first proposition you made was, like, inarticulate to the degree that it was false. Like, seriously, it just lacked the proper qualification. Like, you immediately qualified it. You said the correct thing immediately after, right? You said um, labels in and of themselves 
uh, don't mean anything. Yeah, we accept that. If that's what you mm -hmm. were aiming for, then th yeah, there's nothing to argue about. Right. Was that the actual aim, or did you have a conclusion that followed from that? Yeah, I think so. Uh, wow. <laughs> I love it when people give me a unidimensional answer to a like a dichotomy, you know? Yeah, a multifarious. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it's it's funny because if we take uh, the word artist to mean uh, someone that produces beauty, or I, some... I prefer creativity. Like yeah. creativity is the seems to be the criteria for art. And I I don't even know if I would take issue with a ton of syn like, synonyms in that space. Well, I think that beauty is the apprehension of creativity or the apprehension, rather, of complexity. Of No, that's not quite right. Mm -hmm. The application of, of um, harmonious... Um, okay. Uh, what was the first word I used? God damn it. Oh, what was the application? Creative, compl yeah, harmonious complexity. Yes, that's what okay. we call beautiful. Harmonious complexity, okay. That seems do, to me to be what it is. Yeah, and I do think that the weird thing that happens outside of that kind of parameterized definition space mm -hmm. is that the strange way that we can kind of glitch our mm -hmm. way into finding things that are maybe objectively dirty or ugly or gross or weird or disgusting yep. or whatever. Mm -hmm. We can juxtapose that with the same, let's call it, attributes that you described. For sure. So that they're they're kind of like hollowed shells of that harmonious complexity mm -hmm. that is just done so in a, a more kind of messy, dirty, scrappy, drippy way. Yeah, like I think like realistically, um, it's sort of like what the artists and you would probably know this have been saying for a long time, you know, like what is beautiful comes down to perspective, you know, because like mm. picturing something that is like um, intuitively repulsive. Um, yeah. That can be beautiful if the object of the art is the repulsion because it's fascinating. And if you can figure out how to evoke, evoke in the people it. who are yeah. viewing the art, mm -hmm. the thing that is uh, somehow complex enough to seem like it shouldn't be there and yet here it is, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. That's why yeah. I would say that's one of the reasons that people are morbidly curious. It's like yes. it's, you know, it's bad yeah. in terms of like, it represents something that you don't want for yourself, but also it's complicated in a way you cannot resist. Hmm. Train wreck. I personally find like drawing to be kind of meditative in a way. Yeah. Cause it kind of helps you put all the pieces together and organize them in your mind. Mm -hmm. And I, I yep. think that's kind of a meditative activity. I'm with you on that, man. I definitely think that it's about mental organization. And I think that like cleaning your physical environment is another example of that. It is. You know, like for sure. Yeah, when you when you put things into the correct order around you and that involves like visualizing them in terms of art, then what you're doing is you're like um sort of like emulating the sort of structure you want your thoughts to have mm -hmm. and sort of trying to so, sort of like trying to transfer the skill that you've developed in a specific task over to organizing your mind, which is the most right. complicated thing you've ever had to organize. Right. Yeah. Hey, uh, can I ask a question? Of course. Yeah, man. So what objectively is order? 
Well, that depends on what you mean. Do you mean like um, order is in the structure of reality or do you mean order is in the structure that humans impose? Well, somewhere in between the former and the latter, like uh, organization, evolution, like how we're able to evolve minds that are able to perceive things um, in like mm-hmm. patterns and associations, okay. but also distinguish no, but- between things. in a way that they can make sense out of reality. Okay. So interesting. Um, So you included differentiations. Well, yeah, you need that. Yeah. I I think in order, I think think that's what makes the question compelling because, you know, the similarities are easy to uh, explain. Um, The differentiation is a little bit harder, right? So I would say that um, Mm. order is as I said, it's the structure of reality, and like we've been through before, how I think that like um, biology and specifically like neurology evolved to map functionally the environment that it existed in, right? Um, and like mm-hmm. what we're talking about when we say, you know, you said in between, but that it's not in between. Do you know what I mean? Because like we are completely made of the former, like we are like calibrating our perception and conception of what reality is and how it functions completely off the rules of the world so when you say like what is order and my and like i say like well you have two options either you mean the order that humans impose or the order of the world when we are imposing order subjectively that correlates with the order of the world it's not distinct from the order of the world itself okay because like the only way that you come around to instantiate it is because you're made up of the order and you're deriving the order biologically because it's your imperative, right? So like when it comes to like what is order, yeah. I would say like, it, as I said, it's the structure of reality and there are different layers of scope inside the uh, like existential object because obviously like there's a hierarchy of, right. you know what I mean? like the scope of an instantiated object like biology is a smaller scope than chemistry, which is a smaller scope than physics. Mm-hmm. And, and on it goes. So, like, how does us imposing our own order onto the world correlate with the structure of objective reality? So when you say impose our own order, I assume what you mean is like construct social order. Is that what you mean? Uh, not necessarily social order, like any... Like when we're organizing our environment, for example. Yeah, but like um, when we organize our environment, um, isn't it true that we're trying to figure out how best to organize it? Yeah. Yes. So your evaluation of how best to organize something is based off the laws of nature, isn't it? Hmm, maybe. I mean, it seems like it. I don't know where else you'd be getting information from. Mm. So I'm wondering, like, like, let me see if if this makes sense. Like if we're ordering a house or a closet based on the kind of structure of the closet, mm -hmm. would you consider that to be the laws of nature? I would consider it to be an instance of complexity within the laws of nature that isn't somehow not natural like the fact that there is a closet Mm -hmm. that has the dimensions that it has is part of the spatiotemporal environment and even though the specific scope that you're considering which is just the closet Mm -hmm. isn't the environment being made up of the environment 
necessarily makes the environment the context of the closet, right? Yeah. So like when you evaluate how to organize something within a closet, you're actually saying, how do I organize something within space and time, wherein mm-hmm. space and time refers to this closet for now? Right. Okay. Right. Okay. But in terms of the closet, you'd, right. it'd be more towards utility, wouldn't it? I would think so too, yeah. Yeah, but the way that you derive so, utility, again, is based on what you think is true of the uh, space. Right. But, like, how are we able to d- distinguish between a messy environment and a, an organized environment? Because I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I know well, you're trying to explain that in some sense. So, like, what do you mean by objectively or subjectively messy or organized? Well, subjectively... Subjectively, okay, so something is messy if you know where things should be, in your opinion, and they're not there. They're out of place. It is disorder. Things have a place. That is the order. Like, you have decided. It's something that you evaluate. You, you like, move into a home, and you decide where things are supposed to go, and when they're not where they should go, according to you, you've got a mess. Okay. How about objectively? Well, objectively, there's no, there is no such thing as mess. But we could say, mm-hmm. for instance, that um, the uh, quasi-random distribution of the elements is, in some sense, similar to a mess. Like leaves in a front yard that mm-hmm. feel it's as not exactly a mess. You know what right. I mean? Right. Yeah. It's usually better to just leave them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Leave the leaves, guys. No, but the point I was making is like because of the thing that you evolved, which is the capacity to like detect disorder, you can detect disorder in nature, which isn't actually disorder, but which is rather that the environment isn't ordered in accordance with your preferences, but that's not surprising. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't expect it to be ordered according to your preferences. That would be rather strange. Well, I, it's w- weird. Like lately I've, and that leaf example is kind of one way I can slice into it. Like I, I read that it's, it's better for your yard to leave your leaves essentially. Uh, it's a funny it, one, man. Yeah. It's like you, you basically like have the makings for new dirt if you just let it decompose throughout the winter and it may kill it in the short term and you might have to move it around in spaces where it's kind of overly clumped and doesn't let the ground breathe. But I just took a cursory glance at this article that said that, and then I felt justified and even beautiful looking out at the front yard uh, and saying, yeah, those leaves all look the, the way they should be. Mm-hmm. And my preferences yeah, like, like morphed and to I, fit that for some reason. Sure. Yeah, and I think like, well, I think part of that is that that's the recognition of the distinction I was making between what is actually um, a mess and what seems a mess, right? So, like, you can right. subjectively perceive disorder, but realistically, mm. if you come to terms with the fact that the order of the environment is beyond your control, then mm-hmm. you can learn to see what looks like initially to be disorder as mm-hmm. something that is actually the way things are supposed to be, which is order, right? So, even if it doesn't match your preferences, you can go, okay, but like, the principles of nature supersede any subjective preferences I have. So therefore, according to the higher order of mm-hmm. nature, things are exactly the way they're supposed to be, even if it doesn't satisfy everything about me. Right. 
and then we can update our subjectivity accordingly. Exactly. In that yep. way. And we're supposed to. That's the exact way that we learn to adapt to our environment, right? It's like yeah. you update based on things that you thought were true but aren't. And so, you like, wash if your hands we can say, yeah, from bacteria. It, exactly. If we can yeah. say, for instance, that uh, a conclusion that we had in the past is wrong, we update ourselves. So when we say that um, the front yard is a mess because there's leaves everywhere, later on, if we say, okay, like what what constitutes a mess and then like go through it. And so like we figure out, figure out for instance, that um, something that is in accordance with the laws of nature is not really a mess. That mm -hmm. might actually change how we feel about it because thoughts do actually frame emotions. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk about emotions too for a sec? For sure. Like the idea of what it kind of, what it kind of is at base and where mm -hmm. it might reside. Uh, I, I've accepted some study from, I don't know, I saw it, I think in a Ted talk a few months back, might've been last year actually, but it was about the basis of emotional problems, which might be distinct from just emotions in general as mm -hmm. being a, a problem of imagination. Not that you imagine yourself into a state of emotional mm. discomfort, but mm -hmm. that the problem of the emotion that it presents to us is something that is fundamentally a misuse of imagination where you're That's either projecting kind of some kind of unfavorable idea into the future or dwelling too hard on some past upset or something sure, like yeah. that. It sounds like you're rephrasing Buddha's observation about attachment being the root of suffering. Yeah, and I do because actually... He, he, He's often quoted as saying life is suffering, and to a, to a great degree, that is what he thought, taught. But he also taught that the way to cope with that is to right. accept that the main reason that life is suffering is because we are attached not just to it but to everything about it. And if we can learn to be less immediately attached and attached mm -hmm. only to the things which are actually meaningful to us in the long term, then mm. life will not be so horrible in the short term after all. Right. Uh, I think I try to treat my emotions like switches because of that exact advice. Like, take the emotion of anger, feel it, let it inform you that you're angry, and then shut that shit off as quickly as yeah, you can. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely okay. agree. And I think, like, there's a lot of information, relevant information to be gleaned from emotions that, it, such that it's not really justified in saying, like, um, emotions are irrational and you shouldn't listen to them because the thing right. is that, like that's such a superficial analysis. If your emotions cause you to act irrationally, don't act irrationally. Don't say emotions are bad. Yeah. That's just what? Right, yeah. So So um like why do you think that we need to organize our thoughts in order to see clearly? For instance, um because if you don't organize your thoughts, then you will think you are seeing clearly when you are not. Hmm, how does that work? So basically, if your thoughts aren't organized, when you go to look through them to check for the error, they're not organized properly, so you're more likely to miss an error. Hmm. It might be an, an interesting analogy for this. Well, so like, I'll put it to you like I this, right? So like, a lot of fallacies are based on a tiny structural mistake that conceals a bigger error. Ooh. Right? So like 
Yeah, so like when your thoughts aren't organized according to the laws of thought, what you find is that you come up with conclusions which aren't valid but seem perfectly valid to you. Hmm. Yeah, that seems like a bad thing to me. That, that he might have an analogy for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like in in terms of how we order our thoughts, uh, if we if we put it into like the idea of a pyramid and the hierarchy of values that we would use to kind of filter the information coming in from the outside world, if let's say a part of that filter in those values are it's like the net is ripped. It's going to let in bigger pieces of abstract information that might not need to be as highly evaluated or highly valued, let's say, um, which will end up kind of destabilizing the structure of analysis in our perception. Mm-hmm. That more or less, I mean, I, this is the part where I get a little shaky. Uh, we, we could start to re, like, kind of experiment with, I'm going to put a higher value on love and a lower value on, uh, I guess, <laughs> let's say attachment or judgment or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And if we treat each one of those word layers as like a type of filter that we can adjust our preferences with, that there's a way that the information kind of flows like a better stream mm-hmm. into our entire psychological predispositions. So like a path of least resistance. Yeah, that would be a really nice way to analyze it. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds accurate to me. Like whichever way formalizes the path of least resistance that accommodates the values of a given individual and their sovereign mm-hmm. capacity, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, that they're able to then kind of restructure the thing it is that's doing all of that work in the first place. And in doing that, there's just n- an endless amount of work on the self to always kind of keep us busy and updating our preferences to, I guess, the laws of nature. And Well, really, it's updating our preferences to reflect our understanding of the laws of nature that govern that's, us yeah, and that thank govern you. the environment that we live in. I like that. But, yeah, that, that's just what came to mind right now, and I'm not sure if that's a perfect analogy. That but... sounded pretty good. I don't know that it wasn't... Uh, a particularly good analogy, but it was quite a good explanation. Okay. Trying to think of a better analogy. Well, I think like the analogy for that is more like the mountain, right? Dude, yeah, that might actually be the right way to frame it. I think it it is. Okay. Do you you want to give that one a go? Yeah, let me try this. And is the dude that asked the question, are you David? Yeah. All right, brother. Uh, Like, let me know how this sits with you and... uh, it's a bit of a parable mixed with an analogy. <laughs> so let's let's say that truth is like a mountain, and there are many paths up that mountain that are useful, but are they necessarily true in terms of the path, the actual path of least resistance up that mountain? And so many people kind of claim to have climbed up to the peak, and we could call that enlightenment, essentially. And many of those people stay up at that mountain peak and they shout down to those on the ground, hey, check out what I got. I found the way up the mountain. And from my point of view, I would say, yeah, that guy found a way up the mountain. He may have even found his way up the mountain. That might be a 
a way that ends up being kind of paved into a road up the mountain. But none of those are like the path of least resistance up the mountain. They were just like a kind of subjective strategy to stepping stone our way up in order to reach the peak. And so like when we're talking about like the path of least resistance up the mountain, right? Like that is like links into the water on the mountain analogy, right? Yes. And so if we were to take water from the very tip of it, pour it down, whichever way it would kind of collect in the deepest grooves of that mountain, that those, those parts are like the creode is a, is a term for that, a little groove or canyon that basically creates a, a little, little stream or a full-on river. But that is one way I would think that we could analogize the path of least resistance in terms of the ways that we're trying to get closer and closer to truth so that our preferences and standards and ways of judging and analyzing everything about the world because it's we could think about it as like sensing thinking perceiving judging the different ways that like carl Jung at least outlined uh myers-briggs goes into that a bit but i don't think that's like a full-on sufficient model it just sketches a nice basic way of looking at the way that we perceive things and this mountain analogy like every time i pull it out with matt we add a little bit more detail to it. And I think that's the piece that's asking to either be uh, given some, some time or yeah, something like that. See a like I want something to be wrong here. And I need to, I need to, Sorry, what was I need that, to kill Jamie? a sacred cow. I was going to say with the water flowing down the mountain analogy, mm-hmm. if the water goes over a cliff, that's not really the easiest path then for, for you to go up. Oh yeah. Good point. Um, I think the point of the, so like the water goes down the mountain until it reaches the lowest point and the lowest point of the mountain is the foundation of the mountain, which is the foundation of truth, right? So all Mm -hmm. of the different paths down the mountain, um, like all come to a lowest point because there is just one lowest point and that is the point. That's truth. That's the bit where all of the different ways of understanding truth coalesce to be a foundation for truth. And then all of the ways that the water came down the mountain are valid ways to get to the conclusion of truth. But the ones that accommodated the most water are the ones that most people will find appealing cognitively because they're Mm -hmm. like, they have more information supporting them. That's what the water is. Dude, you know, it's interesting right now. Mm-hmm. So the the idea that like if water running down a mountain didn't just end up at the ocean, and let's just say mm-hmm. it kind of kept running until it had to hit like the flattest, lowest Marianas Trench space on Earth, but that that wasn't under mm-hmm. water. Uh, it's like whatever ended up leading in a full-on, consistent, connected way from the highest point to the lowest point, that would be truth in and of itself. And that like deepest part of that Canyon would be the tiny little line that we could use as a vector to measure that shit. But that measurement would be an overlay on the actual kind of, I guess the, the, the territory itself, it would be a map of the territory. So, Mm -hmm in terms of mapping truth, the ways that we could come around to 
representing it. Like I'm always trying to think in visual ways uh, mm-hmm. with my words. And I think the thing that Matt has helped me do is look at the words that I'm using consciously or unconsciously. And then like, he kind of helps me like remove deception sometimes, even when it's just like something that I haven't uh, acknowledged as let's say I can, I can be really, I'm quick to annoyance, first of all. And I accommodate that with just burying a feeling down and kind of suppressing thinking about things and trying not to take myself too seriously, even though I think I do. <laughs> like, I think I, I really do take words seriously. I like to talk loosely because most other people don't. And I have these metaphors and ways of like representing what I think is true, but it is just ultimately like an example or an analogy. And I am of the predisposed value set that I would rather imagine something and be wrong than claim something and be wrong. And so I think I spend a lot of time imagining things as closely as I can to get it to I think match what if I'm objectifying Matt, <laughs> like I kind of treat you like a truth machine at times. And at it's the like, very this least, is, I am an error checker. An error checker. That's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. A glitch finder, mm-hmm. which my son who's nine is exactly that as well. Like he, he literally will listen to things that I say and say, well, that doesn't seem to make sense. And he's only nine. And I'm just trying to make sure that I don't jack that up because I was raised in a, pretty indoctrinated way and i think that that was the part of me that was underdeveloped and what i compensated that with is imagination so yeah i think we're out in the bush here but (laughs) uh yeah the 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 glitch finding and the error checking that is crucial absolutely yeah these analogies for me personally Because yeah, I don't know exactly if I'm speaking true and true enough to pass some dialectic kind of. So then, yeah, no, for sure. I think interestingly enough, then I'm not so sure that Jamie accepted the explanation I gave. Do you, was that satisfactory? Or were you still unsure? I mean, I, I, it was satisfactory. I'm just not sure what kind of uh, hurdle it would have put into. Uh, okay, the- so the cliff thing, all right. Um, even if it goes over a cliff right like um we're not talking about the fastest way to the ground like not not the fastest way to the ground level being the path of least resistance we're saying the fastest way to the lowest point to the foundation is the path of least resistance but i thought you were saying truth or enlightenment was at the top no no no. yeah we're saying that the conclusion of being enlightened is at the top Mm -hmm. probably and that the basis has to be like you have to like f- from the top, right? There are paths from the bottom to the top, and they're defined by like um, what is consistent with the like topography of truth, right? So if the mountain yeah. is like a graphical representation of truth, right? Then yeah. um, the bits that are hard to climb mm-hmm. would be an- analogous to uh, like a fallacy, right? Like it's not it's not a good way to get up to truth. It doesn't work. It's not functional. And then, or even well, let's put like uh, like an actual rock climbing thing too there, because mm-hmm. some people like do these weird, like they're climbing upside down, 
And it's like, well, if that is the true path and the level of expertise that it would require for just someone who wants to casually acquaint themselves with what, with, with what might be true, that would be inappropriate to expect of someone who's just trying to, you know, vacation their way up to the top. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Have to find I think a way like, that bit. Yes, mm-hmm. and you'd have to find something that's slightly easier, and that path of least resistance would be, I mean, the path that accommodated people that weren't as expert at climbing that mountain's space. And so, like, well, let's put it like this, for instance. Let's say, like, um, religious people, they have intuitions of the transcendent. But religious people have got to their intuitions of the transcendent in, like, they sorry, they, they, like, they have the intuitions, and then they, like, sort of, like, try to justify them rationally, but they fail. And the reason mm-hmm. that they fail is that, like, the, to them, they're standing on top of the mountain, and that's how they, like, present themselves to other people. They're standing on top of the mountain, and then they describe the path they took up the mountain, and then other people try to take it, and they reach a cliff face that they don't know how to rock climb up. And yeah. what has actually happened is the religious person has put in the effort to do these mental gymnastics to climb up the face of something that doesn't make sense, you yeah. know, to put in the effort to get past that to continue on to the conclusion they want. Right. Pretty cool. Um, Yeah, so like when we're talking about, um, so if if like understanding or enlightenment is at the top of the mountain, right, then um, the mountain would be, like the tip of the mountain is the conclusion, the ultimate conclusion about truth, and the mm-hmm. basis of the mountain is the uh, like fundamental uh, foundational assumptions of truth, right? Yeah. And so like well, every, every, correct path, yeah, every correct path up the mountain has to start at the, the, the lowest point, the, the lowest point you can go. Yeah. Um, so like when we're talking about the water coming down the mountain, the ways that it comes down the mountain represent um, the different paths of truth because water, like in the way that it works, differentiates between um, like bad and good terrain because it goes, like if there's like a a root carved out of the mountain, it'll go through that channel instead of just washing over the whole thing, right? Like it, it, takes the space that is available to it. So those paths on the mountain, which have less resistance, will favor the, the like um, passage of the water. Yeah. And so then when we're thinking about going up the mountain, those same, the canyons that held the most water are the most suitable as a path for truth. And other people can use the other passages, the smaller ones, right? Those are like mm-hmm. artistic representations and stuff like that. Yeah. You can use the more narrow and the more treacherous um, paths to truth. Um, and as long as you do actually stick to a path which was which was taken by the water, then you get to the conclusion of truth in a way that is valid. But if you deviate from the path that the water took, which is the path of least resistance in whatever direction it took, then what you find is that you have even if you get to a correct conclusion like the tip of the mountain, the fact that you got there in an invalid way means that you won't be able to help anyone else get there because you're yeah. not really there. You just think you are. Dude, would you um, would you say the, the, the bottom of the mountain are your axioms of truth? Yes, for sure, yep. Yeah. The lowest point, yep. And what I think is interesting is um, what we could say is uh, a theory of everything up the mountain starting from 
unfounded axioms or just Sorry. assumptions that weren't analyzed, let's say. Go ahead. Oh, nothing. I was just gone for a while. Oh, no worries, man. Okay. So, um, no, yeah, that, that the idea that we could, uh, that some people are claiming, hey, check it out. I got, you know, a backpack full of stuff. We're going to make it all the way up to the place where I know everything and, you know, just follow my steps. And next thing you know, they've disappeared. They're just at the top of the mountain, mm -hmm. kind of barking orders to you about how it is that you can get up, shouting at you, essentially. Condescending yeah, is when, one way and, to think and you, so, so you, like, try to execute the orders and they don't work for you. And then they say, like, you're not trying properly or you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a weird thing that people do when they think they know something. Mm -hmm. But that way is only kind of idiopathic or, or mm -hmm. yeah. known to themselves, yeah. essentially. And it could be yep. pathological and they're not sure of it or they're not certain mm -hmm. that that's what it is. They may be concealing that that's what it could be. Uh, but I almost see that the way that we justify things to ourselves for whatever course of actions that we're doing in life, that mm -hmm. that is going to be the thing that ends up becoming the space where pathology can kind of sprout. Mm -hmm. And in that space, if we kind of, I, I'm thinking habituate a way of ideologically relating to truth or that which we think is true, mm -hmm. uh, that that path is, that there are hallmarks almost of the subjective way that humans kind of comport themselves the uh, demeanor, let's say, of the illusion of knowledge. Mm, definitely. I'm, I'm starting to track those minor, um, we could even call them like micro-expressions, but they're, they're more metaphysical than anything. Yeah, they're like micro-expressions of metaphysical incompleteness. Something like that. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And it's like it's like you said, like it's a hallmark of the way that they are like um, understanding the world. You don't have to be able to like sort of like you can tell when someone is making a mistake, even if you can't quite figure out what it is yet, because yeah. they have these certain behaviors. But what you need, what we always need to be careful of is like, we see these behaviors and we assume that they're making a mistake, but we can't find one. Maybe we are the one who is making a mistake. Nice. And that's really like the thing that I loved that you shared with me not too long ago, man, was uh, when you when you can kind of almost by default assume that, wait, the mistake must be in me. Let me check what's going on first here before I presume the errors out there in objective reality and or nature or society even. Um, well, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. you can definitely have problems inside of you and outside of you. It's not like they're they're not separated. The, the internal I mean, what, self is separated. What, well, but what are the problems outside of you? Yeah, that's a really well, they are a part of you. That's that's no, but the, no, but the question is, what is an example of a problem that's outside of you? Yeah, hmm. I don't think there are any. Like, I think problems are. are a problem of human subjectivity. But if we were to ask nature, there, it's, there's just no such thing as a problem. If nature had a voice, it would say, what, would, what problem? Definitely. I agree with that. Like all is as it should be. And I know it's a very Zen Buddhist position to take, but 
I, I can't see how thinking isn't the thing that's causing us to analyze nature as having any problems that aren't self-imposed or self-derived. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree. Like the problems that you perceive are problems in your perception, almost exclusively. Almost exclusively. And there are some things that societally or structurally in terms of like bridges and whatnot mm-hmm. uh, that can break and mm-hmm. fall on people and cause problems mm-hmm. that humans have to For solve. Sure, yep. But then again, it's, it's just like life cycle stuff. Everything has an expiration date. Death is presupposed in life. For sure, so absolutely. Even something as harsh as like something is dying and we don't want it to. Well, that's kind of a part of nature. I just watched, uh, a, for the second time with my wife, Joe Rogan and Eric Weinstein. Weinstein? Steen? I don't know. I always confuse it. <laughs> and uh, like Joe and Eric were talking about uh, well, they were, they were talking about how, I think it's siblicide or something like that in nature, where there'll be two like ducks or wolves or something born, and one of them will prove its viability to its parents by killing its sibling. And it, they just come out fighting. They just instantly start scrapping. And the idea is that, like, it's trying to kind of demonstrate that it has the necessary survival requirements in order to be worth passing its genes on. And the parents are just, like, <laughs> completely chill with that. They, like, even encourage one to trounce the other and in their own weird, you know, animalistic ways. But like humans look at that and we just, I, I couldn't relate to that. I wouldn't want my kids to start fighting up against each other, but I can't help but think that my perception of that is more accurate or better or truer or kinder. Like I'll find some justification that appeals to my humanity mm-hmm. in order to kind of go against an example in the laws of nature that I would say I just am not willing to implement. Mm-hmm. For sure. So I, I don't even know what that means, but that's just, yeah. I think that's like illustrative of confusion, really. You know what I mean? Because like if you think, yeah. if you see something in the laws of nature, but you're not willing to implement it yourself, it means that you're unsure whether your understanding of it is valid and you're not willing to like implement your understanding until you show it that, that it is because you yeah. have like, an intuitive feeling that maybe your understanding, even though it seems rational, isn't because it conflicts with something inside you. Totally. And but, what if what if it's like I could make that valid in a different domain? Mm-hmm. Like instead of physical killing, I could make it like metaphysical killing of nonsense or something. Mm-hmm, for sure. So, uh, Jamie, did you have something to say? Oh, yeah, I was going to say... You, uh, even if you could validate that to yourself, you wouldn't implement that sort of thing uh, because it's specific only to that one sort of animal. You know, we're all different. Totally. Yeah, that's another good point. I guess that depends if you validated that contention, right? Well, like I, I like looking at humans, even in the fact that we're just w- one species, um, that we all kind of have like this different animalistic nature. Some people are more like dog people or cat people kind of thing. Um, And like what's, (laughs) 
<laughs> God, I loved it. Like Joe Rogan was joking about like vegan cat. Have you guys ever heard him joke about that? Uh, I don't think so. God, it's really, it's kind of a hilarious bit, but he talks about like, there are these crazy vegan ladies that will make their cats vegan. And he just gets like completely like pissed off by this because it's like, dude, that's a fucking carnivore that you're forcing into uh, yeah. <laughs> your own. I think I've seen crazy that actually. Shit. Yeah. And it's like, an animal's kind of coding or its nature or whatever it is that's instructing it to do the best thing that it can to survive is like, I mean, a, a, a pack full of wolves and the survival of their pups is rooted for, but what about the bear and the survival of its, cub, of its cubs that would, you know, make a mm. feast off of that pack of wolves, I don't know, parents or something. So it's like we root for these things based on these artificial narratives that we put onto the story. And it's yeah. as if the act of anthropomorphization itself, just ascribing, ascribing human characteristics to the particular topic or whatever. Uh, it's like animals. Yeah, it just like that seems to be a part of what causes the weird empathy yeah. thing to turn on. Well, I think a problem with like progressives a lot is that they try to repress the instinctual nature, yeah, like the natural way, and uh, I don't think that that can be repressed. Like, there's certain things about us that are just part of who we are as human beings. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I agree I with, that. with that. Huh. I think we both said we agreed. Yeah. Yeah. I um. Hopefully, uh, when we when we do this kind of chat next time, Chris and Vivi can come along. I know, right? Dark Master. I know. This is indicative of what will happen if you just let me kind of meander through the topics. (laughs) So definitely, man. I like it a lot. it's chill. I like it, but it's also it's kind of just a an aimless dance. Well, I think you know the aimlessness of it is uh, supplemented by the aim of addressing the topic in general, right? Like, yeah, part of the problem with the specific anal- analysis is that it excludes information that other people think is relevant. And I think part of what opening up the dialogue does is that you let other people say what they think is relevant, and if you disagree, well, maybe you can show them, you know, that it's not relevant. And if you're mm. wrong, maybe they can show you that it is. And Dude, I love I that. Yeah, that just seems like that's good for everybody, you know. It does, yeah. I mean, I've. Been... Right. Go ahead, man. Nothing. I um. Uh, I wish David Moore had come on for this conversation today. Yeah, dude, we'll we'll keep going. Like, I'm gonna try again for tomorrow too, at about mm-hmm. the same time. Uh, awesome. Like, this is. It's very therapeutic for me to just be able to think openly in this way. Yeah, man, I love this server. It's fucking awesome. It's tried to get and don't made David Moore in here. Did you tag him or something? I my best. Yeah. No, he yeah, he, he made an account, but I can't link this to him for oh, some no, reason. No, no, uh, I'll figure it out, man. Um 
Yeah, all, all thanks to Felix. It's absolute Achilles. He's the guy who actually created the server. All uh, right. Thank you, man. No problem. Wait. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure why um, uh, David Moore can't follow the link at the moment, but I'll sort it out with him probably tomorrow. He, he was just busy today, that's all. You want me to end it? Hmm? You want me to end it? Uh, yeah, I think we probably are done yeah. for today.